With that bulletin from Tabi Solihuku, it uh, concludes the second hour of Africa Rise and Shine. And uh, taking us through the top of the hour is Turn Your Lights, Do- Turn Your Lights Down Low by Lauren Hill and Bob Marley. Do enjoy.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai It's 7 o'clock Central African time. Uh, good morning and welcome to it. It's the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa where we continue to give you news from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in the Republic of South Africa. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Luanda Maume and with me on the show is En Musa and Tabisoli Huku. Your top stories now. Rwanda confirms that politician and leader of armed groups Paul Rosesa Bigina has been arrested through an international corporation. A call made for an agent need to regulate and formalize the traditional medicine sector here in South Africa. In economics, improved copper price on the London Metal Exchange results in Zambia's refined copper exports rising to over 78,000 metric tons in July. Details on these and other stories as we progress with the show right now. It's a minute after seven. Let's get the final, in fact, it's not the final news up, update with N. She'll be here for a while, but let's get the news with N anyway. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African from a perspective. perspective good morning i'm Anne musa south africa's ruling anc president cyril ramaphosa has called on law enforcement agencies to immediately begin to ensure that the process of procuring personal protective equipment for the COVID 19 pandemic is followed through. Ramaphosa has managed to successfully push the fight against corruption to the top of the party's agenda. In an unprecedented and bold move, he led the ANC's virtual media briefing on Monday following the party's historic National Executive Committee's special meeting at the weekend. Ramaphosa says government will soon be equipped with all the necessary resources to enable it to recover all the money stolen through irregular PPE tenders. The NEC notes progress on the measures put in place to deal decisively with corruption related to COVID-19, including to recoup illegally acquired funds. Law enforcement agencies must leave no stone unturned in dealing with this matter. Mali's military leaders have held a series of meetings with political, social and religious groups to discuss a transition to civilian rule. The talks were due to take place on Saturday but were postponed due to disagreements with the M5 RFP group, which led the massive protests against the former president, Ibrahim Boubacar Keita. He was overthrown almost a fortnight ago. The M5 RFP insists it's given an equal role to the military during the transition period. West African leaders have called for an immediate return to constitutional order, but the military says the transition will last at least two years. The charity Save the Children is warning that nearly 70,000 children in sub-Saharan Africa are at risk of dying from extreme hunger before the end of the year. It says the COVID-19 pandemic is adding to the pressure some families and communities face in accessing food. The BBC's Catherine Buyaruhanga has the story. The aid organization says it's already treating an increased number of children suffering from malnutrition at its clinics in East and Southern Africa. Save the Children adds that COVID-19 lockdown measures have meant families on the continent are facing a serious decline in their livelihoods and nutritious food is becoming increasingly hard to find or simply too expensive. According to his analysis, over 67,000 children could die as a result in 2020. Nearly 1.4 million children in the Chinese city of Wuhan are back at school. This as authorities reopen every school and nursery, nursery in the city where the coronavirus started in December last year. The BBC's Vincent Ni reports. Wuhan was the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in China. 
deaths in the city accounted for 80% of the national total. And from late January, people living there were under lockdown for nearly 11 weeks. Now in a sign of progress, nearly 1.4 million students across the city are finally being asked to go back to the classroom as the autumn term starts. This highly symbolic move does not mean Wuhan is completely safe from the virus, however. The city administration said it had drawn up emergency plans to switch back to online teaching if risk levels change. French President Emmanuel Macron has called for a swift formation of a crisis government in Lebanon after a new Prime Minister, Mustafa Adib, was named. Macron is visiting Lebanon for the second time in a month and is to meet the new Prime Minister, as well as visit the, revisit the Beirut port, still devastated after a huge chemical explosion four weeks ago. Adib has been speaking about some of the challenges he faces. Well, the opportunity before our country is limited, and the task I have accepted is based on the fact that all political forces are aware of a need to form a government in record time and to begin implementing reforms immediately. And in sports news, first seed Carolina Pliskova got a roaring start to her bid for a maiden Grand Slam title at the U.S. Open on Monday, downing first-round opponent and Helena Kalenina 6-4-6-0 to kick off the action in Arthur Ashe Stadium. The 28-year-old Czech, who led the WTA in aces in four of the last four years, struggled with an uneven serve in the first set, committing three double faults to give her unseeded opponent a fighting chance. But Pliskova, the 2016 U.S. Open runner-up, found a footing in the second set, winning all her first serve points and committing just one unforced error as her Ukrainian opponent was left scrambling. Former champion Angelika Bo returned to action for the first time in seven months and beat Australian Ajla Tamanovic 6-4-6-4 to reach the second round. The U.S. Open is the first Grand Slam to be contested since the COVID-19 pandemic shut down global tennis in March. That's the news. Headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Seven minutes after seven Central African time. Let's say thank you very much there to N Musa with that uh, bulletin. It brings us to almost eight minutes after seven. And remember, she's back at uh, half past seven Central African time. Let's get straight on to our first story now. Rwanda has confirmed that politician and leader of armed groups Paul Rosesa Biganya was arrested through international cooperation and deported to Rwanda, where he is said to face charges. He has been on an international arrest warrant for some years and has some has been famous through his movie Hotel Rwanda that depicted him as a hero who rescued hundreds of innocent lives during the genocide perpetuated against the Tutsis in Rwanda. Sylvanis Karamera reports. He's in Kigali. Paul Rusesabajina came to fame through the movie Hotel Rwanda, which was named after the Hotel de Mirkorin, one of the prestigious hotels in Rwanda during the 1994 genocide. He was first presented to the media by Rwandan Investigation Bureau, RIB, on Monday. A Rwanda Investigation Bureau said Rusesabajina has been subject of an international arrest warrant wanted to answer charges of serious crimes including terrorism, arson, kidnap and murder perpetrated against an armed innocent Rwandan civilians on the Rwandan territory. <laughs> It has been a while since international arrest warrant had been issued against him to answer charges which includes terrorism, arson, kidnap and murder against innocent Rwandan civilians. Rwanda Investigation Bureau spokesperson told the media in Kigali, Paul Sabajina is a subject, is suspected to be the founder, leader, sponsor and the member of violent armed groups, including MRSD and the PDR, operating out of various places in the region and abroad. His arrest was received as a good news to those genocide survivors 
who spent the entire Monday calling on the international community to help arrest those still at large. Dr. Goroba Mutebi is an analyst. Well, um, I think that uh, the two narratives about Rusesa Wagina mirror exactly the two narratives about Rwanda. In Rwanda, people who live in Rwanda consider Rwanda to be a well-governed, stable, good country to live in. Outside Rwanda, you get a fairly different picture of what you get when you're inside Rwanda. So there have also been two narratives about Rusesa Wagina. In Rwanda, he's considered to be a villain. Uh, outside Rwanda, he's seen as a hero, as portrayed by the movie Hotel Rwanda. So there are two competing narratives about him. But now that he has been arrested and he's in Rwanda, I think we are going to see a, a real test of these two competing narratives. And I, hopefully, at, at the end of the day, we will know exactly which of these two narratives is more accurate than the other, or which one, or which one is accurate and which one isn't. Rwanda's Minister for Justice, Johnson Businji, warned that those suspected of killing and wreaking terror on Rwanda will be brought to justice. But Dr. Groba Mutebi said this message goes a deep further. I think it's, it's a message, first of all, to Rwandans inside the country that the government of Rwanda has fairly sufficient capacity to protect them. Because if these people who are trying to destabilize the country from outside are being routinely arrested and brought back here, it shows that the government is really doing something quite fundamental in terms of uh, trying to uh, stop these threats from outside. Uh, for countries in the region, of course, there is a number of countries around Rwanda which uh, have been accused or pinpointed by the government here as providing support to some of these groups. And I think that the arrest of Rusesa Wagina and the arrest of others before him, but also the weakening of these groups inside Congo, is also going to send a message to these countries, if it is true that they are supporting these groups, that actually Rwanda is not sleeping that Rwanda is going to take every possible action they can take to neutralize these groups. So I think, yeah, it's a strong message to countries in the region that are accused of supporting these groups. Internationally, it's also a message to those who support these groups from beyond the region, because we know that Rwanda has a very large diaspora, and many members of this diaspora are opponents of the government. Some of them are accused of having been here and taken part in planning and executing the genocide. They have been living outside Rwanda for a long time and some of them have transformed themselves into political activists opposing the government. I've seen some of them even calling for a government of national unity and so on and so forth. I think that even those who are beyond the region, as Rusesa Wagina was, because he lived between the United States and Belgium, will also now be mindful of the possibility that the long arm of the law could get them wherever they are. The 66-year-old is accused of being behind several attacks on Rwandan soil in 2018, mainly in the western part of Rwanda, near the thick jungle of Nyunga Forest. Silvanus Kalemera reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. The National Executive Committee of South Africa's ruling African National Congress has endorsed the letter written by the President last week denouncing any acts of corruption by officials deployed in government. President Cyril Ramaphosa delivered a consolidated report on the outcomes of this past weekend's NEC meeting during a virtual media briefing on Monday afternoon. He also told the media that the NEC has come to a conclusion that there is a well-orchestrated campaign against him as party president. As Abogile Dumago reports, Ramaphosa says the ANC will not tolerate any form of corruption. In an unusual move, the outcomes of this NEC meeting were delivered to the media by ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa himself and not Ace Mahashule, the Secretary General, as usual. This was followed by an extensive question and answer session between the media and all the ANC top six officials, including the President. Ramaphosa says the ANC will not back down from a campaign targeted at the president in order to deviate from the mandate of the party to eradicate corruption. He says the orchestrated campaign against within the ANC will not succeed. The NEC endorsed the contents of President Ramaphosa's letter to ANC members of 23rd August as a clear articulation of the policies and positions of the organization and agreed to the implementation of the points of action contained therein. The NEC emphasized that 
what seems to be a choreographed campaign against the president will not distract the movement from undertaking an intensified program against corruption. Ramaphosa says ANC cadres who are formally charged with corruption will be asked by the party to resign from their positions immediately. He says the NEC meeting held over the weekend has decided that corrupt cadres of the ANC will not be allowed space to commit such crimes under the watch of the party. He adds that even those who are alleged to have been involved in corruption will be called by the Integrity Commission of the ANC to come and explain, and if they fail, they shall be suspended. Cadres of the ANC who are reported to be involved in corrupt and other serious criminal practices must go to the Integrity Commission to explain themselves. Those who do not give an acceptable explanation may be suspended. NEC also decided that cadres of the ANC who are convicted of corruption or other serious crimes must resign from leadership positions. Ramaphosa says government will soon be equipped with all the necessary resources to make sure that the monies stolen through the PPE tendering system during the COVID-19 pandemic are recovered. He also told a virtual media briefing on Monday afternoon, as he was giving the outcomes of this past weekend's NEC meeting, that corruption will not be tolerated. He says law enforcement agencies must leave no stone unturned to make sure that the procurement processes have been followed to the T. The NEC notes progress on the measures put in place to deal decisively with corruption related to COVID-19, including to recoup illegally acquired funds. Law enforcement agencies must leave no stone unturned in dealing with this matter. Following reports that Ramaphosa was asked by the NEC meeting to step down, it seems the ANC president has put his foot down and continues to do his work both as a president of the party and that of the country. He says he will not publicly entertain former President Jacob Zuma's letter, which labelled him as a person who lacks good leadership skills to take the ANC forward. This because he doesn't even understand the reasoning why Zuma penned the letter. I am Abongile Dumago in Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided to place the entire country on alert level 2, with effect from midnight on Monday, the 17th of August 2020. Alert level 2, in terms of our risk-adjusted strategy in dealing with the pandemic, means that there is moderate COVID-19 spread of the virus with a relatively high health system readiness. The move to level 2 means that we can remove nearly all of the restrictions on the resumption of economic activity across most industries. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 for Channel Africa, I'm Arthur Skopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough, and difficulty breathing, seek medical advice promptly as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition. It is just shy of 19 minutes after 7 Central African time. Welcome back. You're listening to Africa Rise in China on Channel Africa, where we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Remember, you can find us online on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The South African Parliament's program for this week includes oral questions to Deputy President David Mabuza in the National Council of Provinces, while the National Assembly will hold a debate on the schedule of attacks and murders of farmers and farm workers. And 54 parliamentary committees will deliberate on various issues of accountability, which involve government departments and parastatals. Lula Mamaja reports. The National Assembly will on Tuesday debate the scourge of farm attacks and murders of farmers and farm workers. DA's Diane Kolabanad will lead the debate. On the same day, the Home Affairs Committee will be briefed by the Department, the City of Cape Town, 
the United Nations High Commission for Refugees and the South African Human Rights Commission on the situation of migrants during lockdown. The briefing will also include an update on the removal and integration of the protesting refugees at the Green Market Square in Cape Town. Deputy President David Mabuza is scheduled to answer oral questions in the NCOP on Thursday. This after two earlier sessions were postponed due to ill health. In another development, Cape Town Mayor Dan Plato, the Metropolis, SEPS and the Independent Police Investigative Directorate will brief the police committee on an incident that involved the city's law enforcement officials in Kailicha. The NPA will also brief the Oversight Committee on COCTA on the progress report on VPS-related matters. Lula Mamaika in Parliament. It is everyone's responsibility to wage war on gender-based violence and femicide. This is according to panelists during a security cluster dialogue on gender-based violence and femicide held in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. The dialogue is held under the theme Improving Access to Justice for the Victims and Survivors of GPV and Femicide. The dialogue marks the closure of 2020 Women's Month program and was part of the Justice Crime Prevention and Security Cluster's efforts to fight the sketch. Filed this report. The dialogue comes at the end of National Women's Month. Among the panelists was Police Minister Becky Trail. He says all GBVF victims should be able to access criminal justice system without fail. They should access a system that is efficient and sensitive to the needs of survivors while being accessible and responsible. In our response to gender-based violence femicide, the police are making progress in resourcing specialized units that deal with GPVF cases with both funding and human capital. We have the FCS, that is a Family Violence and Child Protection Sexual Offences Unit, has trained specialist detectives to investigate gender-based violence. Minister for Women, Youth and Persons with Disability, Maiten Kwana Mashabane, announced a six-minister interministerial committee, which focuses on the fight against gender-based violence and femicide. Mkwana Mashabani says the IMC has a strategic plan that it needs other role players in implementing. She declared the GBV as a second pandemic following COVID-19. The strategic plan has six pillars. Mkwana Mashabani explains those pillars. Six pillars is accountability, coordination and leadership, prevention and rebuilding social cohesion, efficient and sensitive criminal justice, adequate care, support and healing to the victims, building women's economic power and financial access. Lastly, better information management to inform action. Gender-based violence is one of the top priorities of the National Prosecuting Authority, NPA. Deputy National Director of Public Prosecutions, Advocate Rodney DeCock, says NPA places the victim of GBVF at the center of the judicial system. He says the courts are on regular basis denying bail to perpetrators and giving long-term imprisonment, including life sentences. He says establishment of specialized sexual offenses courts is just but one of the many efforts put in place to address GBVF. As far as enhancing our services are concerned in the system, the Minister of Justice has uh, created the dedicated sexual offenses courts they are uh, throughout the country. And what happens in a dedicated sexual offences court is that you've got specialised services. So on the one hand, you have prosecutors who are specifically trained to be able to deal with these cases effectively in court. Um, and they work in close partnership with the detectives. Independent Police Investigations Directorate IPIT's Executive Director Jennifer Tlatzen says investigators, detectives and police need training on statement taking and on basic forensic investigation. Tlatzen says she has started a process of development of gender-based violence and femicide strategy within IPIT. Tlatzen says it's with that in which IPIT will conduct outreach programs to communities to engage them on cases that have been reported but not solved. She emphasized that training is essential.
also making sure that our own investigators are also being trained because one of the challenges that I've picked up when we're engaging some of our public prosecutors was the beefing up of evidence in cases that are already being rejected such that they lead to prosecution being declined and all that. One, it's also making sure that they're being trained on statement taking, proper statement taking. Two, there is basic forensic investigation course which I think our team must undergo because it's quite important that they do that so that they can get to the depth of investigation That report by Maluti Ubuseng. There is an urgent need to regulate and formalize the traditional medicine sector in South Africa. This should clear the tension that currently exists between the use of traditional medicine versus biomedical interventions. This came out of a webinar to commemorate African Traditional Medicines Day with traditional health practitioners, policymakers and development partners organized by the South African National AIDS Council. Tabilempele reports. It is estimated that 80% of South Africans consult traditional health and alternative health practitioners. However, those in the sector believe it's not getting the recognition it deserves. Mkuluso Linduku is the traditional health practitioner sector leader. There is an unspoken relationship characterized by mistrust, tensions and uh, conflicts between the two families. The family of traditional medicine and the family of biomedicals. And also, with no exception, in one way or the other, the alternative and allied medicines family they are also caught up in the myth. The South African National AIDS Council, SANEC, says it's important to develop a variety of treatment options to respond to people's medical needs. Acting SANEC CEO Dr. says these should include both traditional and Western medicines. The conversation around um, traditional medicines and alternative healthcare practitioners, there is always a, a, a issue around the not available evidence uh, on the work uh, that is being done. So today we also want to start conversations on how can we be able to develop a research agenda and be able to ensure that the work that is done is well aligned uh, in terms of uh, policy frameworks, research of efficacy, safety. The World Health Organization says it's encouraged by how countries are embracing traditional and complementary medicine. However, government still needs to lead campaigns to endorse it. Dr. Rajesh Nawal is from the WHO. Globally, more than 90% of member states are using traditional and complementary medicine. This is an encouraging sign. They are using it, but how well integrated is a different question. Within African region, more than 80% of the countries are using traditional and complementary medicine. The member states with laws, regulations for traditional and complementary medicine, the huge percentage of the countries have national offices and regulations on traditional and complementary medicine. The National Health Department says it wants to clean up the African traditional medicine sector in South Africa first. Bruce Mbizi is the Director for Traditional Medicine in the Department of Health. In South Africa now we've got a lot of charlatans, a lot of fly-by-nights, and we've got a lot of people, especially in the urban areas in our towns and cities, who call themselves um, traditional health practitioners. A lot of things that they are doing are not even related to the work of traditional health practice. So we need to regulate the system. We need to regulate um, uh, the practitioners themselves. They need to be identified by um, some some form of um, regulation. Nawal says traditional complementary medicine is the cornerstone of universal health coverage because traditional health practitioners are much closer to communities. He says India, China and Turkey are global leaders in embracing and using traditional complementary medicine. Tabilempele, Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that 
discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. It's 7.31 Central African time. Let's get your news headlines. Yes, and Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the president of Guinea, Alpha Conde, has accepted his party's nomination to seek a third term. Mali's military leaders have held a series of meetings with political, social and religious groups to discuss a transition to civilian rule. And the charity Save the Children is warning that nearly 70,000 children in sub-Saharan Africa are at risk of dying from extreme hunger before the end of the year. And those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 7.32 there. Thank you, and for for that uh, news uh, headlines. Now, the Independent Community Pharmacy Association, ICPA, has launched what is called the Pharmacy Safe Spaces Campaign in honor of Women's Month 2020. The initiative aims uh, to assist victims of violence by giving them the option to request assistance uh, from pharmacists who can report and provide linkage to essential counseling, care and support. To discuss this further, Samara Mangesi spoke to Jackie Mayman, CEO of ICPA. The majority of people that visit pharmacies are women. It's women who are heads of households, mothers, sisters, daughters. And in honor of um, the month, this month, and after the call of the president who spoke about the second pandemic, which is gender-based violence, we decided what better initiative that one where we offer pharmacies as safe spaces. So pharmacies are a place where you can go for just about anything. So it's in a sense, it's anonymous because you could be going in for feminine hygiene products. You could be going in for advice, cough syrup for your child, but it gives you an opportunity to speak to a healthcare professional and perhaps indicate that you need assistance because of abuse or violence. Why is it often difficult for victims of gender-based violence to access confidential help within many communities? Well, I think mostly because very often the abuser is always with them. And so these women, they tend to um, be aware that there's somebody always watching them. There's also a lot of shame attached with it as well. And that's why another reason why pharmacy is a very good place to do this, because there's an open relationship there with the pharmacist. You can go in there for free advice, you can chat, and in that chat, very often pharmacists will see red flags for abuse, such as bruises or abrasions, seeking help for depression, not sleeping. And so the pharmacist very often can broach the topic with women as well. And how will victims be able to access help through this campaign? And in which parts of the country will 
it be available? So it's going to be available nationally. We've got 1,200 pharmacies across South Africa. And basically, a woman who needs help can just walk into any pharmacy, ask to speak to the pharmacist. The pharmacist will be able to immediately assist, give some advice, help treat any injuries, perhaps um, assist the, the, the woman to contact the police services if necessary or hospital. But the other thing that we're offering, and it's a wonderful partnership, is the Psychologist Society of South Africa have partnered with us. And they are offering for the next three months um, the ability of pharmacists to link the patient or the woman with a psychologist for free counseling. And I think this is a wonderful initiative. So it's going to cost nothing because very often these women who are facing gender-based violence also are abused in the sense that they're not given any freedom with, they're not given money, everything is held back from them. So they just need to walk into a pharmacy, chat to the pharmacist, broach the subject, and then we can take it from there. And uh, is the Safe Spaces initiative limited to gender-based violence, or are there any other services that you provide? So the, the linkage to the Psychology um, Society of South Africa is in support of Women, Women's Month, and so it is linked to gender-based violence. But no, you're quite correct. You can walk into a pharmacy for any sort of violence, not just gender-based violence. And pharmacists are there to support you in whatever your need is. Um, many of the pharmacies have got clinics, have got nurses there, and we can give support from anything from abuse, of uh, substance abuse, to physical abuse. Um, we're there to help everybody. All right, and as we celebrate Women's Month in South Africa, what message do you have as an association about what has now become the second pandemic, gender-based violence? Well, I think the message is that this is absolutely unacceptable, that the people of South Africa, we need to stand up to this. It is no longer acceptable for people to be aware of abuse and not speak out. So we're saying to everybody, Speak out. If you are aware of somebody else being abused, speak out. If you are being abused, speak out. Get help. To the mothers out there, speak to your children. To the fathers out there, speak to your sons. We've had enough of this. This gender-based violence needs to end, and it ends with us saying enough is enough. That is J.K. Maimen, CEO of ICPA, speaking there to Samora Mangesi. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, has announced that it will implement a load shedding at Stage 2 or rotational power cuts from midday this afternoon. The power utility last resorted to these power cuts 11 days ago. ESCOM says this is due to constraints in the system and breakdowns of the aged power generation units. Tutongoben compiled this report. South Africans will once more be plunged into darkness this week as the power utility struggles to keep the lights on. This week's load shedding is the third in a space of two weeks. Power cuts have become part of life of the Southern African nation. The utility has warned that if there are any changes in the system, it will have no choice but to upgrade the stage of these power cuts, meaning South Africans could find themselves with no electricity more than the four hours that they will experience at the announced stage two load shedding. Spokesperson at ESCOM, Sikonanchi Manchancha, explains. ESCOM regrets to inform the public that due to a severely constrained generation system as a result of multiple unit breakdowns, it has become necessary to implement stage two load shedding from 12 midday to 10 p.m. today. 10 units at 7 power stations suffered breakdowns in the last 48 hours. These are a generator each at Anot, Midupi, Litabo and Matla power stations, while 2 units each at Majuba, Camden and Tutuka power stations also broke down. This, together with the need to observe uh, to conserve emergency generation reserves, necessitates that load shedding be implemented in order to protect the integrity of the system. We have unplanned uh, generation uh, units uh, standing at 11,665 megawatts of capacity. 
Any further deterioration in the generation performance may necessitate the escalation of load shedding at short notice, as this aged generation infrastructure is unreliable and volatile. This constrained power system is expected to persist for the rest of the week. South Africans are bracing themselves for more load shedding in the next year of 2021, as ESCOM said things would only get better after then. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tutongobeni in Soweto. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulitonjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Welcome back. It's uh, 18 minutes before 8 Central African time. Welcome to Africa Rise and Shine on Channel Africa, where we continue to give you news uh, from an African perspective. My name is Luanda Maume. I'm standing in for Lulu Kabu, who is out enjoying herself today. Because why? It is her birthday, and happy birthday to her indeed. Now, the South African Council of Churches says it's a shame by the level of greed and corruption in all provinces of the country. The SACC held a two-hour online service to launch its mass anti-corruption campaign. The service is started with the church leaders from across the country lamenting, praying, and protesting against COVID-19 corruption. Various calls were made from the establishment of an anti-corruption Chapter 9 institution to calls for ethical government governance and leadership in all sectors of the society including the church Methodist percent monitored the proceedings and filed the following report the church leaders came together and prayed with the secretary general of the council of churches bishop malusi mpumlwana giving his opening remarks we gather as the people of god aware of the corruption around us the abuse of power by politicians the news of tender and price fixing to score another million the clamoring noises about the abuse of funds earmarked for COVID-19 relief, of the political shuffling, half-truths and cover-ups, those who steal from the vulnerable, poor and the dying. We believe God is stronger than evil, love is stronger than hate, light is stronger than darkness, light is stronger than death. Victory is ours through him who loves us. Some church leaders spoke on various themes in the fight against corruption. Presiding minister at the launch, Bishop Zandi Lemieni, spoke out against, among other things, chronism, patronage and greed. We lament the rampant and disgusting allegations of corruption across the provinces of our country. We are ashamed by the levels of greed and self-interest we lament that those we have entrusted with public responsibility and authority have become susceptible to forms of patronage, bribery, and cronyism that undermine democratic decision-making, fair and competitive processes, 
in the awarding of business and administration of public services. When he delivered the sermon, President of the SACC, Bishop Ziposi Thesi, was said, thieves who instantly accumulate wealth cannot be applauded by the churches. If I, I buy a cow or if I get a cow, as it arrives in the village, I have to come with a written proof of where I got it from. You cannot just all of a sudden wake up and your crawl is full of cows and nobody where they, knows where they come from. The opposite of that is happening in our eyes, under our noses. The people who had nothing all of a sudden have everything and nobody asks where it comes from. We know those who suspect gains, we suspect wealth, we know them, but we applaud and sometimes gravely take the gifts from them. We cannot applaud a thief without knowing where the instant wealth comes from. The SACC Vice President, Reverend Frank Chikani, delivered a message on ethical leadership. We take this opportunity to call for ethical governance in the church, in government, and in business. We call for ethical leadership at all levels of our society, uh, starting again from the church to government and the private sector. This country is deeply troubled by the number of unethical leaders and corrupt leaders we have who struggle around and amongst us without shame about what they are doing. A call was made by the Anglican Archbishop of Southern Africa, Tabo Makoba, for the establishment of an anti-corruption Chapter 9 institution when he spoke about transparency. To hold the corrupt to account, we need urgently to transform our corruption-fighting agencies, both by urgently cleaning out and strengthening existing agencies and adding a Chapter 9 institution to fight corruption, which is independent of the control of the executive. Such a body needs a toll-free number to enable whistleblowers to report corruption, and we need more robust protection for those whistleblowers. When she touched on a call for accountability, the presiding bishop of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa, Purity Malinga, said the poor and women are the ones who mostly have to bear the brunt of corruption. When there is corruption on the PPEs, the essential workers, most of whom are women, they die and leave behind their families. And most of those who die are those who are poor, who cannot fund for themselves. When political leaders and those who are politically connected continue to loot the resources of this nation, the unemployed, the homeless, the landless, the waterless, the hungry, most of whom are women, they remain destitute. Reverend Lionel Lowley, the call for personal responsibility in the fight against corruption. Brothers and sisters, This cancerous disease of corruption that afflict our nation also calls on each one of us to take personal or individual responsibility. As Christians, we recognize that individuals are significant in the ministry of Jesus. The Council of Churches earlier said various activities have been planned for the month of heritage to protest against corruption, calling on all members of society to join the fight against all forms of corruption. That report by Mercedes Percent brings us to almost two minutes uh, before we get to your economics update with Tabisole Hoku. But before we get there, let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs.
Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Good morning, it's Channel Africa. Shares in the video conferencing company Zoom have risen 5% to another record high as home workers continue to rely on the technology during the coronavirus pandemic. Video conferencing apps remain crucial due to the increase in remote working. Zoom's shares hit a record high on Monday. The BBC's Michelle Fleury reports. After one of the most astounding earnings reports in early June, Zoom has done it again, blowing past expectations with its second quarter results. The video conferencing app reported a profit of $186 million on sales of $664 million. Key to that success is its ability to add paying customers, high-budget corporate clients versus those who use its services for free. Customer growth jumped 458% from this time last year. With many of us now working from home, Zoom has become one of the essential technology tools during the coronavirus pandemic. Nigeria says it is determined to address the issue of food security and it is ready to partner with Dangote Fertilizer Limited in order to achieve the agricultural transformation agenda aimed at boosting food production in the country. Minister of Agriculture and Rural Development Alaji Sumad Sabunanono said this during a facility tour of the Dangote Fertilizer Plant in Lagos and called on the company to assist the government's agricultural mechanization scheme as well as extension services for small-scale farmers. Credit rating agency Fitch Rating has rated Rwanda's credit worthiness at B+, with a stable outlook. Credit rating is an independent assessment of a country's credit worthiness. The ratings give investors and fund managers insight into the level of risk associated with investing in the debt of a particular country, including any political risk. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, says it will implement Stage 2 load shedding from midday. The power utility says that this is due to an increase in generation unit breakdowns overnight. Eskom spokesperson Sikonati Manjanja says that the power utility cuts are expected throughout the week. Eskom regrets to inform the public that due to a severely constrained generation system as a result of multiple unit breakdowns, it has become necessary to implement stage 2 load shedding from 12 midday to 10 p.m. today. 10 units at seven power stations suffered breakdowns in the last 48 hours. These are a generator each at Anot, Midupi, Litabo and Matla power stations, while two units each at Majuba, Camden and Tutuga power stations also broke down. South Africa's Department of Minerals Resources has announced a one South African cent per litre increase for the price of 93 and 95 petrol to come into effect this week on Wednesday. Diesel will decrease by 21 South African cents. The US dollar is trading at 384.91 Nigerian Nara, 11.37 Botswana Pula, 107.20 Kenyan Shilling and 19.50 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies in Brazil, Luanda, one US dollar there will cost you 5 rule 43 in Russia, 74 rubles 2. In India, 74 rupees 25. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 61.84. And in South Africa, 
it's costing 16 rand 75 the us dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the british pound and 83 cents to euro Looking at commodities now, gold is trading at $1,962 and platinum at $933 pounds. The price of brand crude oil is at $45.96 a barrel. Africa, your favorite channel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. At five minutes before eight Central African time, they say thank you very much there to Tabiso. And that bulletin brings us to the end of Africa Rise and Shine for today. From myself, your host, Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the Africa Rise and Shine team, thank you so much for listening. If you want to comment on the show, please do send us an email. It's info at channelafrica.co.za or you can catch us on WhatsApp. It's plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, And on Twitter, it's at channelafrica1. Please don't forget to follow us there. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is uh, Oma Mabom Tandazo. This is the music of something so way too. Until next time, stay safe and God bless.
countries kwata camps sabazi kuniso neskelem imbogoto zomtanda ziko koga zotokbe pinifa haba fugaba washeba pege bakinde bakeza bantwana pifobe msebenzini ode to the fat black nubian queens of africa's ghettos ingulube zomchondo lesbila mashift naramadale chute nikanmen agna keve kogi kavela ikevas kogi pinifa nechali swela bazugule mkolo zile stress across aspata matami ikevas pata matamu na mawepa na SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. In the headlines, Guinea's leader Alpha Conde accepts nomination for a third term. Mali's military leaders hold a series of meetings with political, social and religious groups to discuss a transition to civilian rule. And Save the Children charity warns that nearly 70,000 children in sub-Saharan Africa are at risk of dying from extreme hunger. SABC News.